Alright, we are in Proverbs chapter 23. Notice what it says in verse 13. It says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. And right here in this passage, God is letting us know that a good old-fashioned chastening is good for children. Now, the children, often when they're being chastened, they act like they're going to die, but the Bible's assuring us here, they're not going to die. You're actually going to deliver their soul from hell. And again, but people might think, well, this isn't a good idea. I mean, listen to the child scream like they're, they're dying. But the truth is, when that child is acting that way, you know what they're doing? They are actually manipulating you. Okay? They're actually manipulating you. And I want to preach tonight about sinful manipulation because to manipulate, it means to manage or influence skillfully, especially in an unfair manner or to manipulate people's feelings or to handle, manage, or use, especially with skill in some process of treatment or performance. And I just want to say, there is not one of us here that is not prone to being manipulative. This is something that is in our nature, we, and it's something that we have all naturally been from birth. Just remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And when I'm going to be preaching tonight, there probably is going to be one person in here that isn't going to get hit, hit right between the eyes when it comes to what I'm talking about. But this is something that we all need to understand about ourselves. We are naturally sinful people. And it's important that we understand ourselves so we can work on these things and not be this way. Because manipulation, being manipulative, it is natural. Children are expert manipulators. They're the best at it. Okay. In fact, it, it, Kelly, Kelly, you want to come help me out? Can you come up here for a minute? You want to come help me out? You're not in trouble. Come here. You want to come up here? I need, I need you to help me with something. Okay. She's nervous. I've never called her, called her up to the pulpit before. Kelly, you want to come up to the front? She's like, I think, trying to act like. <laughs> All right, she's not. She's she's playing dumb right now. That's manipulation right there. But uh, but yeah, her and Hannah are expert manipulators. Okay. Now what? Now why do they do that? Kelly, you sure you don't want to come up here? Somebody get her attention. She is completely. <laughs> she see how see how they play these games like this. She thinks she's in trouble. I told her the other day that I was like, you know, if you're bad in church, I'm going to call you out from the pulpit. And so I, I don't worry about it. She thinks she's in trouble. But, uh, but uh, she was actually being good. But children, think about this. They are on the bottom of the totem pole. Let's even get Hannah to come up here. Hannah, you want to come up here and help Daddy out? You want, you want to come help me? All right, come here. Come help Daddy out. All right. Come here. All right, she's going to come help me out. Come here. All right. Now, y'all see this cute little thing right here? I always tell people, don't let her cuteness fool you. This is a manipulator right here. Are you manipulative? She's got boogers coming out of her nose right now, too. That's how big of a booger she is. Hannah is literally at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to authority in our family, isn't she? She is the youngest of eight children, so she is the weakest. She has the least amount of authority. In fact, just today, Abby was telling me about how uh, Abby was watching her and was telling her what to do. And she's like, I don't have to listen to you. And so I, I went and I stood her up on the table and I looked at her and she gives me that cute look. Well, why, why do they do that cute look? They're manipulating you. Dad, are you going to yell at somebody this cute? Sometimes what Kelly and Hannah will do too when I start getting on them, I love you, Daddy. You know, they'll kiss you on the cheek. They'll do something sweet. Make sweet faces. All right. What are they doing? They are manipulating. They They know... Anyway, let's give her those boogers. Yeah, they they know they have no power. So what they're but they, at the same time, this little thing right here, she has got a will. Do you have a will of your own? Huh? Do you have a will of your own? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are you stubborn sometimes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and but the thing is, because she instinctively knows I'm way smaller than everyone in my family. Everyone bosses me around. I have no power. So they learn at a very young age. It's just natural to manipulate. They learn how to get their way. They know how to cry when they need to cry. And there are kids, this little, 
I mean, who's going to win in a fight between the two of us? Who do you think would win a fight? Yeah. <laughs> but they, they know instinctively, so they use these little things. It's just instinctive in them. And if we don't, if we're not careful, we do. We carry this into the adult years. When we want to control what people do, and so they are. The, the, the children, they're weaker. Their parents are physically capable of dominating them. Yet, at the same time, they're really good at getting their way. Little kids like this, way smaller than their parents, I mean, they tell their parents what's what. They decide when it's time to go home. They decide when it's time to go to bed. They decide everything. How can you let something this little tell you what to do? But yet, parents do it. We've all seen the moms and dads in Walmart getting controlled by people this little. And so manipulation is something that is just its a part of who we are. And sadly, many, even when they grow up, they use manipulation to exert their will on other people. And that's why they do these things. That's why they cry. I can't get my will. If I make this loud, annoying noise, maybe then mom and dad will give me their way. All right. You want to go sit down now? All right. Thank you. You did, you did good. You did good. I know I said a lot of bad things about you, but I still love you. All right. <laughs> but it was all true, though. So, again, something children learn very early, something we all instinctively understand, is we all have very limited authority when it comes to other people. She has a will. She has something she wants her brothers and sisters to do. Something she wants them not to do. But she has no power to enforce anything. She, you know, so she has to manipulate. It's all she's capable of doing. And often, because we have no legitimate power or authority over the free will of other people... We often resort to using manipulation to get the behavior that we want out of other people. We don't plan this stuff. We don't set out to do these things. We just naturally, instinctively do it. And you all know what I'm telling you is the truth about Hannah because your kids do the same thing to you too. Who taught them that? Nobody taught them that. Nobody sets out to do these things. These are things we naturally, instinctively do as simple people when we want to exert our will on other people. And you know, we all do. we hate the false god of Calvinism here that ordains every bit of wickedness that happens in the world and doesn't allow free will. We all hate that. But you know, the truth is if we were honest, we all wish we were that god. So we could exert our will on other people. We all wish, you know, look how many tre- uh not Trekkie, Star Wars people I wish they had the force so they could control what people do. Wish they had some kind of magic power so they could exert their will on other people. And so, again, everybody just lighten up tonight because, again, we're all going to get hit between the eyes. I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody. I think pastors can be some of the worst when it comes to manipulation because pastors are naturally very opinionated. Pastors, they do have some authority in certain areas. We are How our church does, how it succeeds, a lot of it is dependent on what other people do, not just what we do. And therefore, it's easy for us to exhort to manipulation to get what we want out of people. It's just easy. It's, it's sometimes it's easier to do that, and, but it's wrong. And there's, there's a sinful way that we can do this, and we don't, we don't want to do this, so we all got to watch it. And so the word manipulation, it's not in the Bible, but I think there's some words that are similar. I think one word that we see in the Bible that is similar is the word beguile. And in Genesis 3.13, it says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. How did Satan, it was his will, that Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit? How did he get Adam and Eve? Because Satan can't make them eat the fruit. So you know what he did? It was his will for them to eat the fruit. Eve didn't want to eat the fruit. Adam didn't want to eat the fruit. So Satan's like, what do I got to do to get them to eat the fruit? You know what he did? He beguiled them. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. So Satan, while he is powerful, Satan did not have the authority. Satan did not have the ability to make Adam and Eve sin. So what Satan did... He beguiled Eve. He deceived her, knowing if I can deceive Eve into eating this fruit, then she can get Adam 
to eat the fruit. And then my will will be accomplished in getting mankind to fall. So Satan couldn't make it happen. He couldn't force it to happen. So he beguiled them and he manipulated them so they would do his will. And we all understand, we do not have the authority to, we do not have the power to make other people do things. So typically, what we often do is we resort to manipulation. We resort to beguiling and such things. Numbers 25.16 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them, for they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. This is a reference to when Balaam got Israel to sin. Balaam was paid by uh, Balak, I believe it was, to curse Israel. But Balaam did not have the power to curse Israel. He's like, I can't curse them. They're God's people. It wasn't that he didn't want to. He wanted to, but he recognized, I don't have the power to do anything to Israel. So you know what he did? He beguiled them. He got them to commit fornication, knowing that if they do this great sin, then God will punish them. So, so Balaam, this was a very serious thing. And so God wanted them to vex the Midianites because they were the one that got Balaam to do this. But again, Balaam did not have the power or authority, but he had a will. He had a desire. He wanted to see Israel cursed. So he's like, if I can get them to sin, then that'll bring a, then they'll bring a curse on themselves from God. So notice even this soothsayer, he understood, I don't have the power or authority to exert my will. So he tricked them. He beguiled them. This was very wicked. And so manipulation is something people do to control people in areas where they have no power and where they have no authority. Hannah, she has no power. She has no authority. Nothing. Bottom of the totem pole in a big family. So she's probably going to be the best at being manipulative. Future husbands, watch out for that one because she's probably going to be a piece of work unless the Lord really gets a hold of her heart. She's going to be good at it. You know, from... You know, because again, she has a will. She wants to get her way from day to day, and she's going to have to be a little more creative than everyone else in the family. And so, I want us to take some time to identify. And I've heard some preachers use this term before, where they call it uh, they call it power moves that people use on others to control them. Okay, now, folks, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody tonight. Listen, we've we've all done this, okay? And let me just say it too. Right, I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be mean. Let me throw out some disclaimers, but women especially, okay, women especially, you do this and, and it's, and it's natural. It's nature. I'm not picking on you for doing this. Okay. It's natural. You would do this because you are under your husband's authority, but you have a will too. You, you have a will. You are weaker than your husband, hopefully, you know, where, you know, he, you know, he is, you are the weaker vessel. So and he is an authority. He is in charge. So he's not going to need to be as manipulative as often as you are. Okay? Because you are the weaker vessel. You are the one that's under authority. But you still have a will too. And so you've got to watch out doing some of these things to try to exert your will in areas where you just don't have any authority. And again, all some of these, these things that I'm going to make, or some, of the, some of these things... These things themselves are not sin. Okay? However, if you do these things to control, if you do these things to exert your will on other people in a manipulative way, that's wrong. And you shouldn't do this. Okay? You, should, you shouldn't do this. I'm not saying these things are all sins by themselves. You know, to everything there's a season and a time. Okay? But here, here's the first one. This is, this is what we call a power move. Okay? Because you're trying to exert your will on somebody else. You know what it is? And kids use this all the time too. Crying. Okay? Crying is you. It's kind of a power move. Now, again, is it a sin to cry? No, it's not a sin to cry. Okay? Listen, sometimes you can't help it. Okay? Some people are more emotional than others and they cry a lot. 
Hey, if that's who you are, that's who you are, that's fine. But are you crying to get your way, to exert your will on someone else? That's not, that's not nice because who likes crying? You know, and isn't that what your kids do to get, to exert their will? And so sometimes adults, we do the same thing too. But Proverbs 19.18 says, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. There is something instinctive in all of us. We don't like crying. Even when it's somebody else's kids. You hear that? It kind of stresses you out. It's also, it can also be annoying. But even just, you know, there's the bad crying, the angry crying. But even too, just sad crying. I mean, have you ever just walked into a room and somebody was crying? Is that not the most awkward thing in the world? You know, it's just like, oh, yeah. And again, listen, if you are sad, it's okay for you to cry. If you are happy, it's okay for you to cry. If you're mad, I, if you get hurt, I'm, I'm just telling you, but do you cry to get your way? Because isn't it interesting, too, like with little kids, how they just turn on the tears like that, and then they can just turn them off like that, too? And hey, and guys cry sometimes, too. Okay, but you know what? Usually it takes something for us, right? You know, you know, and, you know, and if you can just turn it on all the time. But again, when, these are often what we're doing. We're doing these things to exert our will on other people. And is this really a situation where you need to be crying? And a lot of times, it's not. And so we got, we got to watch out. You know, because uh, our Exodus 2.6 says, And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Notice how that weeping from that baby, it did, it caused her to have compassion on him. Crying moves us. It moves us emotionally. And when we do, when we see someone crying, we naturally want to fix the problem. But here's the thing. Are you crying because you're having a problem with authority and you're trying to exert your will on them? That's not good. We, sh- we shouldn't do that kind of thing. That's, uh, you know, again, if, if you're crying just because you're sad, upset, I mean... There's a thousand reasons you can cry. I've got a whole sermon I preached one time called The Power of Tears. And tears are a powerful thing and they can be used for good. I mean, he that goeth forth weepeth, uh, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There, but again, are we, but we can use those power of tears in a way to manipulate. That's not good because ultimately, here's what you just need to ask yourself. Am I just trying to force my will on someone else, oh, somebody else. Am I just trying to have my way? Is that why I'm crying right now? Because that's not right. Just like you have a will, they have a will. And just like you have a, an authority in your life, they have an authority in their life. And it's difficult when you live in the same house. But, you know, especially from house to house and amongst each other. We shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. We're just always crying all the time trying to get our way with everybody because we're wanting to exert our will. You know, And so it's like, you know, just using those things, it's not, it's not good. You just need to recognize that I'm doing this because I'm, I can't accept the fact that someone else is doing something I don't want them to do. But we don't have, God did not give us power and control over everyone else. And we should not try to exert that power and authority when we don't have it. And so, um, so when we cry just to get our way, it's rebellion. First Samuel fifteen twenty three says, "For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, He hath also rejected thee from being king." Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. How is rebellion as the sin of witchcraft? Again, when you're rebelling against authority, what are you doing? You are trying to exert your will over someone else's will, where they actually have authority. And, it, and what are you doing with witchcraft? Okay, now I've not been involved with witchcraft, but isn't the whole point of magic and all that kind of stuff to exert your will on other people? Isn't that what it's all about? I want this bad thing to happen to them because I'm mad at them for something they did or something they didn't do. And so I'm going to cast a spell on them. I'm going to do this hocus pocus to them or whatever. Isn't that what witchcraft is all about? It's all about exerting your will. It's all about giving yourself power in areas where you are not supposed to have power. I don't like what this person is doing. I'm going to cast a spell on them and make them sick. Well, you know what? 
It's their life. It's their will. It's their choice. It's not yours. And when you're going and using witchcraft to try to manipulate that situation, that's super evil. And that's what you're doing when you are in rebellion. And it is. It's you're trying to control something that is not yours to control, trying to exert your will somewhere where you do not have any power. And so children said often and you know and, and even wives sometimes will also cry to force their will when it is contrary to the authority and they realize they have no power. I mean, and I've tried to teach my kids over the year, crying, I, I try to I've always make sure that crying does not produce good for them. Okay? Unless they're hurt or something like that. So when they get hurt, there's legitimate reasons to cry. Okay? If they find out their mom died in a car wreck, I hope they cry. Okay? You know, I mean, obviously there's legitimate, there's legitimate reasons, but if they, I told them they don't get ice cream, crying's not going to help. Okay? But that's what they often do because they realize they have no power and authority. And so sometimes, too, it's almost like a punishment. It's like, well, I'm going to punish them. I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to have a bad attitude so I can at least, since they wrecked my day and not giving me ice cream, I'm going to wreck their day and be miserable. That's, that's not right. That's you trying to exert your will. So again, I don't want anybody to think I'm teaching it's a sin to cry. But let me tell you, it is a sin when you do it to control other people, when you do it to guilt trip them in a way to exert your will. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about exerting your will on other people. We call that manipulation. There, and so when it comes to tears, there is, they are powerful. Tears do have power, but there is a proper way to use that power and there's an improper way to use that power. You shouldn't use it to exert your will on other people. That is manipulative. Another thing too, that is kind of a, that is a manipulative thing or a power move that people will do is uh, the ignoring or silent treatment is another thing. Look what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 14. Ignoring or the silent treatment. This is why people do... the. Whenever you get mad at somebody, I don't like what they did. I don't like what my husband did. Therefore, I'm not going to talk to them. Talk to him. What does that do? It creates a tension. It creates a problem. And you do it on purpose. You're trying to make people uncomfortable. Okay? And, and, and folks... Listen, let's lose the halos tonight, all right? We've, we all do this kind of stuff sometimes. When we don't like something, I don't like, I'm going to make sure everybody knows I don't like it. You know, and people do that. They'll come into church. They don't like something that's going on. They're going to do some weird thing to make sure everybody knows so they can like ruin everybody's fun. That's, that's not right. We shouldn't be forcing our will on everybody. The second Samuel 14, 23 says, so Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. This was after Absalom had killed his brother for raping his sister Tamar. And it says, so Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. So the king tells him, fine, he can come back, but he's got to stay in his house. He ignores him for two whole years. He just ignores him, doesn't deal with the problem, just ignores him. And it says, therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to have sent him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he had sent again the second time, he would not come. Therefore, he said unto his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine, and he hath barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I send unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore I am come from Geshur. It had been good for me to have been there. Still, now therefore, let me see the king's face. If there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. He's like, I'd rather him kill me than just ignore me like this. So Joab came to the king and told him when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king, bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So notice, David was obviously upset with Absalom for what he had done. But rather than dealing with it, and just which would not have been a pleasant experience, David just kind of punishes Absalom by just ignoring him for two whole years. And Absalom's just like, enough's enough. And you know what that, that ignoring did? It just caused Absalom to react even more. And he goes and sets Joab Fields on fire. Now, thankfully, they kind of made up here. But at the same time, too, Absalom never really got over this. 
And then Absalom goes on. We could, we could talk a whole lot about all the stuff that was manipulated that Absalom did to the people to cause a rebellion against David. But here's the thing. When, a lot of times when, some, when somebody does something that we don't like, when somebody is living a life that is against our will, that is contrary to our will, somebody does things we don't like, they dress the way we don't like, they do their hair we don't like, I mean, whatever, whatever it is, just whatever it is that somebody is choosing to do with themselves, and it bothers us, often what we will do is, you know, we know we can't do anything, because that's going to look really bad if I go and tell them, hey, I'm trying to control you. Stop doing your hair that way. It annoys me. Stop dressing this way. It annoys me. Start being this way. Start being nicer. Start acting this way. You know, we all instead, you know, we all have enough self-awareness to just not go tell somebody all the things we want them to do. Hey, can I, you know, what, I mean, how off-putting would it be if I just went up to Brother Aaron? I was like, Aaron, can you just start acting a little more like me? I mean, good night. I, I, you know, why don't you just do your hair like me? Why don't you dress like me? You know, you're, you do too many things I wouldn't do, and it annoys me. Can you just start mimicking my every move so we can have more normal people around here? You know how off-putting that would be if I did that? So obviously I'm not going to do that. But often what we will do if we start doing something that, we, you know, that I don't like, you know, depend, you know, then I often they'll do, we'll do things like ignoring. We'll use these power moves against him. And a lot of times we're not going to say anything. But I'm going to, it's like I'll do these things so he'll start thinking, hey, something's wrong with Pastor Tommy. I wonder what I did. I wonder what I can do to fix it. And obviously I, it would sound too petty if I told him what he did. But if I can get him worried about what he did, by the way I'm treating him or how I'm ignoring him or just kind of being cold towards him, hopefully he'll start trying to please me. Hopefully he'll start trying to, you know, do things that don't bug me. And that's often, and we do, we do these little things with people. It's a way of control. But you know what? Maybe Aaron just likes to do things that annoy me. Not because they annoy me, but that's just what he likes. We're two different people. With two different wills, two different backgrounds, from two different homes. We're just, we're two different people. We've got, we've got two different wives. We have different sets of kids. And so those things that have been in Aaron's life have affected and made him who he is. The things that have been in my life have made me who I am. And I don't have the right to just go around trying to make everyone conform to my will for them. Obviously, I'm a pastor. Of course, I have things I want everybody doing as a pastor, but I shouldn't use manipulation to get those things out of them. And often people will do that. You know, the, the wives, they will give their husband the silent treatment because they know it will sound stupid. If I say, you know, I hate the decisions you're making. I hate the things you're doing. Uh, you know, I want you to take me out to eat and buy me flowers, but I don't want to have to tell you. So they just start giving them the cold shoulder silent treatment. So they're like, oh man, what did I do? I mean, that's what they're thinking in their mind. Oh man, you know, if I, if I do this, if I give him the silent treatment, if I don't do something for him that I normally do, he will wonder what's wrong. And then he will come and tell me, what did I do? Well, what's going on? What did I do? And then I'm, he's going to get it. Or then I still won't tell him. I'm just going to make him figure it out. And we do just play all these mind games with people and stuff. And let me tell you, it, it, it's just not good. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not right. You shouldn't resort to manipulative things another thing too that people can do is nagging is another thing too in judges 16 15 and she said on him talking about Bathsheba the samson how canst thou say i love thee when thine heart is not with me thou hast mocked me these three times and hast told me not told me wherein thy great strength lieth and it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words she pressed him daily with her words this guy that killed a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass this woman, with her words, and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. She literally almost nagged the strongest man in the world to death. I don't care how pretty she was, she wasn't worth it. Okay? These kind of women are not worth it. She's literally nagging him to death. And what does he do? He ends up conforming to her will. He ends up telling her everything. And it basically, in the long run, it got him killed. By doing that, she manipulated him. She obviously was weaker than Samson. 
You know, Samson knew things that she didn't know. She wanted to get these out. He didn't want to give it to her. So what did she do? She nagged him. She kept pressing him. And I, and I understand, you know, this was an illegitimate relationship they had going on. Samson didn't have authority over her. But again, in a husband and wife situation, in a children-parent relationship, kids, you shouldn't be nagging your parents. You shouldn't be annoying them with these things. You shouldn't be bugging them with these things. You know, it, that kind of thing is wrong. That is rebellion. If they tell you no, you need to accept the decision. Yeah, but I don't like it. It goes against my will. I know. But they have a will. You have a will. They're in authority. You're under authority. It's called submission for a reason. And again, you know, obviously, guys, we have a great responsibility. When you have authority, there is a responsibility that comes with it. It's not, a, you know, it's not this, you know, the, if your attitude of authority is like, this is going to be great, now I can always have my will. Well, you know what? You're a bad leader. Okay? You know, part, it, it, there's a big responsibility. Because it's partially your responsibility to take care of your wife and kids. It's partially your responsibility to make them happy. But again, there's going to be times when what you believe is for their good and what they believe is for their good are going to be different. And kids, wives... That's where you need to obey God and recognize the authority that God put in your life and you need to submit. That, that's, what, that's what you need to do. And it takes faith. It takes obedience. But I believe God will bless you if you do that. And you know what? If God can move the heart of a king, He can move the heart of your husband. So just, you know what? If you want to get your way, I recommend doing what God tells you to do. I think that'd be the best way to, to get your way. But when authority gives you an answer, why do you feel the need to constantly bring it up again? The answer is clear. If you refuse to accept the decision from the authority, you know, are, are you just are you hoping to change his mind by annoying them? You're hoping to change his will to conform to your will. How are you really submitting in that case? So you're still listening. Technically, you're not rebelling in your mind. But when you constantly prod them, it, you can't really say you're being submissive. I remember when Tommy was little, he had a bad habit. Of, he would always do what we told him to do, but he would immediately start crying. And he would cry through the whole thing. And it was just like, it was always weird because he would do what we, like, you know, we tell him, go pick up your toys or something, or, you know, it's time to go to bed. And he would get up and he would pick up his toys and he would go to bed, but he'd cry through the whole thing. And it was just, it was weird because it was just like, he's obeying, but this is not the proper tone for obedience. And it was, it, was, it was something that, you know, thankfully we eventually chastened out of him. I'll use that term, uh, chastened, rather than the way we would say it at home. But yeah, we, ch- you know, we chastened it out of him, you know, and that was good. But again, that's, kids, if you're listening while annoying your parents, nagging your parents, you're not really listening. You're still trying to exert your will in a place where God has not given you authority. We, we need to learn to expect the fact that everyone in here has a will. Okay? We've got a bunch of different wills in here. We all have one. But none of us should use manipulation on others to get our will. That's not right. Another thing, too, that people often do another power play is defrauding. Defrauding, which is a, word in the, a Bible word. And defraud means to deprive of right either by obtaining something by deception or artifice, or by taking something wrongfully without the knowledge or consent of the owner. To cheat. Uh, followed by or before the thing taken as to defraud a man of his right. Another definition is to withhold wrongfully from another what is due to him. Uh, to prevent one wrongfully from obtaining what he may justly claim or defeat or frustrate wrongfully. And so, if, if something technically belongs to someone else, and it is in the power of you to give that to them. What is expected, what they are entitled to. When you refuse to give it to them, you are defrauding them. And that's wrong. And that often is a power move that people use to exert their will on other people. For example, spouses often will withhold themselves physically only to control. That is wrong. That is very wicked. There are legitimate reasons you know, when maybe, you know, you're not able to do certain things, but when you do that, when you withhold to control, that's wrong. It, and this, again, 
Typically, that's done by women because they are the weaker vessel. And husbands ought to dwell with them according to knowledge. They ought to give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. But, you know, women, we should, you shouldn't use that, the fact that your husband respects that and the fact that he honors you as a way to exert your will and to go against his authority. That's, that's some pretty wicked stuff. That's wrong. And guys, you definitely shouldn't do that kind of thing because you're mad at your wife or whatever. That is, that's super petty. And guys, if you're doing that, uh, you got some serious problems. First Corinthians 7, 1 says, Now concerning things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. For the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. When you are married, okay, the other spouse is supposed to have some power over you. And that goes both ways in the marriage. And the truth is, there are certain things that are owed to that other spouse when you're married to them and when you withhold that. Not because you're sick. Not because you're dying. Not because of something serious. When you're withholding to control, to manipulate, to exert your will in an area where you shouldn't be exerting your will, that's wrong. That is a sinful thing to do. That is an example of sinful manipulation. And we have to watch out. We should never withhold something that is due to control. Proverbs 3.27 says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give thee what thou hast to buy thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwells securely by thee. So this is an example of what if you owe somebody, if you owe somebody something financially and you have some kind of agreement, okay, if you are able to fulfill that agreement, you should fulfill that agreement. But you know what people often do a lot of times? They will withhold things that are due to somebody as a way to manipulate, to put them in an awkward situation. You know, where it's like, you know, it is, it's awkward when somebody owes you money to have to go to them and say, hey, um, I kind of need you to pay up. I, I kind of need that. You know, I've never been a landlord before, but you know, a lot of landlords, the houses they own, they have mortgages on those houses as well. They have loans that they need to pay. And a lot of times they are dependent on the renter that they get their payment to them in time every month. And you know what? You ought to pay your, your rent payment on time because that landlord, he's kind of counting on that. And if you are withholding, because, well, you know, technically he can't evict me legally. He wouldn't let, give me 60 days notice or something like that. I don't know what all the rules are. Hey, that's a pretty sorry attitude. Uh, you know, our, our landlord, he's been kind of a jerk and I don't really like him. And so I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to make him sweat it out this month. No. No, you don't do that. You don't do that kind of thing to control people. But people often hold, withhold again. Sometimes maybe something happens and it's literally not in your power. And if it's not in your power, you're not being manipulative. You just, you can't do it. But often we withhold things that are, that people expect from us, that they think they're going to get. And we do it as a way to control in church. When people get mad, a lot of times they don't like what's going on in the church. I don't particularly care what the program. This isn't how I want things done. They will withhold their tithes and offerings a lot of times. When things aren't going their, their way, they'll withhold participation from things, their support. Hey, listen, when you're a part of a church, you, know, you ought to be supportive of that church. It's a, you know, these things are expected. We kind of count on these things. It's like, it's like too, you know, whenever we've, as a church, we've made a big financial decision, like when we bought the building and, you know, you know, it's part of these decisions that we make and that is with the intention that people are going to continue to be faithful and to continue to give. And, you know, it would be, it would be wrong. It would have been wrong if the whole church, we just all vote to buy this building, get this loan, and everything. And then everybody's like, yeah, I'm done going to this church. And then I'm, I'm left figuring out how we're going to pay the mortgage on this place. That's not, that's not right. You, you know, you shouldn't do that. But often people will, they will withhold certain things as a way to control. I'm going to withhold my participation. It's kind of this silent treatment they give the church. So just like that wife, hopefully the husband will come to her and say, what did I do wrong, honey? 
tell me what to change and I'll fix everything and our life will become a musical and, you know, and I'll rub your feet every night and sing songs and I'll always do whatever you ask me to do. Right? That's what the women think is supposed to happen after they give their husband the silent treatment. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but, and it's like people do that too. Uh, I'm going to withhold participation in the church and then hopefully the pastor will come to me and be like, what have I done wrong? Please. Write out a list of things you want done for the church. Now, in fact, why don't you just pastor the church and just, you know, I'll preach the sermons that you give me to preach. You know, it's, it's like that's what they think. Listen, that's manipulative. And, you know, if you have a problem, if something's going on you don't like, you ought to be able to talk about it. You ought to be able to articulate it. You know, do I really have to just call everybody up every time they miss church? What did I do wrong? You know, what, you know, what did Brother Jason do wrong? Did somebody hurt your feelings? You know, did one of the ladies say something about your wife's ugly dress that she wore last week? You know, I mean, what am I supposed to do? And yet people will do that. They'll just withhold things hoping to get the pastor's attention. Here's how you get my attention. Come to me and say, hey, pastor, can I talk to you about this? That's the way to get my attention. And then here's the thing too. Sometimes you've got to understand that when, especially if you come to you know, me with a problem, you know, there, sometimes there's things that are outside my realm of authority. I get it. I'm the pastor of the church, but I don't have the ability to control everyone else's will either and to control what everyone else does. I don't have control over everyone's life. I'm very limited in my power that I, that I have in, in the church and in people's lives. And so we need it. We, we got to watch out for this kind of thing. It's not. And so when you start withholding things, that is, it's a very bad attitude and so when you're a part of a church there's expectations put on you and you shouldn't withhold those things as a method of control and all of a sudden you're not soul winning anymore hey what's going on well you know pastor i just really don't like the time that we go out so you're just going to quit going so you can control the time that's lame you know you ought, you ought to have a better attitude than that and especially when you never even talk to me about it you know, it's like, hey, is it possible we could change this? And it's like, well, yeah, we could change it. And we, we, not here, in my previous church, I remember there was someone who was always late, always late for everything and expected everyone in the church to always wait on her. And whenever, especially when we would go places and travel things, I was always very strict. We're leaving at this time, which means... We're leaving at this time. And so when that time would come, we would leave at that time. Like I said, we would. And she was never there. And she would get left. And finally, one day, she, she got mad and chewed me out for leaving her multiple times in one event. And I said, listen, we had 30 other people that all showed up in time. And you are demanding that I follow the schedule of just you who is doing your own thing, while the other 30 people all did exactly what they were supposed to do. You wanted all 30 of us to be late because of you. That's, that's not right. That, that's not how these things are supposed to work. So it's like, what do we do? Do we just change everything in the church to accommodate the one? Or how about the one just get with the program that literally everyone else is doing? And, but people are manipulative and you know what? Some of these power plays we're talking about were often used by this individual, especially the tears one. And it never helped. Uh, it just, it, it never helped in these situations, but we got to watch out for that. And so, uh, there are, there are many things all of us are prone to doing as sinful man to get others to do what we want. And that's what we just need to do. Okay. Sometimes you need to do this with your children you need to do this with husbands. You need to do this with your wives. Husbands, you need to do it with yourselves sometimes. And whenever our lives are being turned topsy-turvy because of someone else, we just need to ask ourselves, where do I have any control or authority in this area? And when you have none, you know what you do? You don't do anything. You definitely don't resort to manipulation. That's definitely not the right thing to do. I mean, if somebody just, you know, if, if I just can't handle how somebody parks because they're always just parked over the line too much, and that just, listen, I, I, I should, and, and I, 
Now, I hate to get, get up and confess sins, okay? But, you know, I used to do, you know, we used to do, um, I, I guess that would be called manipulative things, especially when I was younger. You know, me and my friends, if there were things that people did that annoyed us, we would often kind of do those same things in like an extreme way to kind of make fun of that person. I'm not going to give a lot of examples. Okay, this isn't confession time right now. But, but you know, I, let's just say, I know how this stuff works, okay? Again, even though I was the oldest out of five kids, I was the only boy. There was a lot of females in the house. So I was always outvoted on everything. And so to get my way, I had to be a little manipulative too. And again, when you're a pastor, you're always trying to get people to do stuff. And it is, it's just, it's easy to want to resort to manipulation. I know how to do it. And guess what? All of you in here know how to do it. And, and we're, we're good at it. We're, it's, we're naturals at it. It is a part of our sin nature. We want to control other people. We want to have power over other people's lives. We want to use the force and move people around like we want, like we want them to be able to move. We want to be able to possess people with our spirits so we can get them to start finally doing the things that we want them to do. We, we want that ability. But at the same time, we don't have it. And what we just need to learn to do is just accept the fact that this is not my place. I have no authority here. I have no power here. And I'm not going to try to create it, especially using sinful means. I'm not going to use these power moves. It's not right. And if we would just learn our place, if we would learn to do our own personal business, and we would learn there's one thing we can do. The one thing that we can do is influence through example. And let me say this too. Influence through your example without telling everyone you're trying to influence through your example. I showed up to church 45 minutes early today to make sure I set the example that y'all ought to be at church on time because some of y'all are stinking late all the time and I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to set an example. Shut up. You just said all that to guilt trip everybody. Hey, no, just, just do it and shut up about it. Hey, can we, if we would just learn to set an example and shut up about what we're doing, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you make walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You set the example. What do you want other people doing? You know what? You do those things. Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. I wish the people in our church were nicer. Then you be nicer. You be nicer to them. You start doing it and shut up about it. Don't go and just go do something really nice for somebody and then announce to them, I'm doing this nice thing for you because I believe we should bless those who curse us. And I'm trying to set an example and I'm trying to show you how it's done. No, 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 no. I, I, I literally know of somebody who did that one time, literally went on social media after somebody had cursed them and said mean things about them. And they went and they bought them. They, they like ordered these steaks that they had delivered to them. They lived in another state. And then they made a video announcing what they did. They brought up that verse in the Bible and this person, they've been bad-mouthing us. And, you know, the Bible says, bless them that curse you. And so I sent them steaks. You just lost your reward. That's not how that works. That's not how you're supposed to do these things. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, we just don't trust God. Listen, if you really want to control people so bad, okay, then the way to do it is go to God. Okay? My kids all the time, they come to me to try to get me to exert their will on their siblings. Yeah, and, and you, how, has anybody ever, kids ever done this before? Like where they will tattle on their sibling because of what their other sibling thinks? You know, like, you know, Allie thinks she's smarter than me. And you know what I always tell my kids? Allie's thoughts do not shape reality. And it's like... Does anybody else's kids do that? Anybody's kids, or is that just my kids? Okay, good. We're not, I'm, not, I'm not the only ones. Just 
What, what do they want them to do? You know, it's like, they think this, they're doing this, they're coming to me as the authority, so I will tell them. Or they'll literally come to me too. I know every kid's done this. I, I know it. Or they'll say, Dad, can you tell Chloe to whatever? <laughs> it's like, it's like why are they doing that? Because they have no authority. Their sibling is not listening to them. So they're trying to influence my will. They're trying to conform my will to their will. So their will will be forced on their sibling. And so, again, and that's annoying. Okay, That's annoying to me as a parent. But again, if, what, if your concern is legitimate about somebody else, if your concern about how somebody is behaving is legitimate, go tell God. Go tell God. Pray, Lord, please help this person stop being such a sourpuss and you know, help them, Lord, to just you know, smile every once in a while and help, Lord, help them to learn that how annoying of a hairdo that is and how ugly that dress is so they stop repulsing me by it. And you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Listen, if you're legit, if that's legit, God will hear that prayer. But you know what? If it's not, God might just say, hey, you know what? You just need to get over yourself. You know, you need to just chill out. You know what? I'm going to send it even more annoying to the person to the church to teach you some patience on these things because, you know, you got a bad attitude. But at the end of the day, what it all comes down to, we all want our will on everyone else. And that's just not how life works. That's not how God intended things. And so hopefully... Uh, this will be a help to you and help you at least know yourself a little bit. Okay, if you got hit between the eyes tonight, don't feel bad. You know, my wife, if she wants to make you feel any better, she can tell you where I preached to myself with some of this stuff. My gosh, you know, Tommy does this and he does that. Yeah. Eh, you know, we all do it. I got to preach to myself as much as I do anybody else, and I often I have to give the secrets up here. This is why I tell you these things that pastors do. I tell you them so I can't do them anymore. And, and I, I do that on purpose because I don't want to do these things. You know, but it's, it's in our nature. And so I was a little child once and I learned all that stuff. So anyway, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help to everybody. Lord, I pray everybody took it in the a proper spirit and attitude that it was meant to be taken. Lord, these are painful truths about ourselves. We, uh, you know, your word is right. We are, uh, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And Lord, uh, it's important that we understand these things so we can work on them and i pray you'll just help us to stay in our place to be content to learn submission and to uh, not try exerting our will on everyone else but you help us to uh, just try to serve you and to follow your will and to just do unto others in your name we pray amen